0: anything at home? Wow, most of you, some of you haven't. You know where everything is. It's perfect. Uh, I don't know about you, but the one I lose the most often are my... No, my glasses get lost too. What else? What do do we lose at home? Keys. Don't any of you lose keys? Man, I'm looking at my keys or you may lose uh, your cell phone, you may lose your glasses, you may lose... Whoa! just any number of things. And I know that when I lose them, I don't really lose them. Somebody else misplaces them. Couldn't be me or they cover them up so I can't find them. Right, it's never me. Yeah, well, we're talking about lost things. And we're talking about lost things in the home, not necessarily the, the idea of losing keys. And I know that usually when I lose those at home, or here at church, it isn't what somebody else did. It's what I do, and it's where I put them, and so I don't find them very quickly. But if you have your Bibles, turn back to Luke 15. We've been studying the parables uh, on Luke 15. We started last week with the lost sheep who was lost in the hills, and um, the shepherd had to go find him because he didn't know how to get home. He, uh, he was just kind of wandering around eating grass here and there, and he didn't pay attention. His circumstances pulled him away. And people are like that, and they get pulled away from God. And it isn't that they want to run from God. It isn't that they expect to be away from God. They just were so busy looking at this and that in their own life and their families and everything that all of a sudden they realize there's an emptiness in their life and something's missing, and it's God. And the shepherd comes looking for them. They don't usually go looking for him well, this morning we want to look at the second lost thing. It's a lost coin. And the coin was lost in the house. It wasn't out on the hillside. It was right there in the house. So you know that it's going to probably be found in time, but maybe not. Maybe it wouldn't be found. Next week we're going to look at uh, the renegade that just ran away. Uh, He just didn't want to do what his dad did, and he didn't do what the family did, and he left, and he was lost, and it's a lost son. And then in two weeks after that, we're going to be looking at the self-righteous one who's lost. He thinks that he has it all together. He's aware of uh, what goes on in the body of Christ, but he really is judgmental towards other people. He's negative. He's critical, and uh, we're going to see how that fits. Uh, And sometimes I, I, I certainly think that, had to do with the ones that uh, Jesus was talking to. You remember during this parable that it was a a rather diverse crowd. There were those who were tax collectors and sinners. Uh, Tax collectors today would be like those who hack into your computer and they get your your identity. They're identity thieves. They're swindlers. They're frauds. uh, Scammers. Sinners might be, I just put down, prostitutes, liars, cheats, addicts, uh, drug dealers, foul persons of any kind. They're just anti-religious people, and and those are the individuals that were there, and they were following Jesus. And then, of course, there were the Pharisees and the scribes, and they were rather self-righteous. We're better than the rest of these people, and they were judging them, and they were judging Jesus because he would actually go to the home of these individuals and spend time with them. It wasn't so bad that the tax collectors and sinners, the scams and the frauds, came to listen to Jesus, but it was that that Jesus would go to their home, and he would identify with them, and he would spend time with them, and how could he do that, being a rabbi, and it was a real struggle, and so Jesus was telling these three parables in Luke chapter 15 to explain this, and I think it's important. Uh, that we study these. Let me read for you from verse 8 through verse 10 of Luke 15. Verse 8 to 10, it's about the lost coin. It says, Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, and saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which was lost in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Just one. So, you look at this story, she's only lost three coins. She hasn't lost that much, or ten coins. The shepherd had, well, she only lost one coin. I'll get this right. The shepherd had 99, 100 sheep, and one was lost. So we see the large number in the flock. But when we come to the woman, she only had 10 coins. One was lost. And yet it was a very difficult time for her. As we move into the lost son, there's going to be two sons. So we see this progression downward in terms of the numbers that are there. But as Jesus was telling this story, we need to do what we did last week with the parable of the lamb that was lost and kind of just take it apart. What is it saying? I think it's very easy to read through parables and stories like this and say, oh, I've got this, without really evaluating what it says, really looking. It's easy to just say, oh, Jesus is talking about lost people. But each one's a little different. There's something special about each of them. And with the woman, she had lost a coin. The Bible would translate it as a drachma. it, it was considered to be about one day's wage. You know, think about how much you make in a day. I, I read one author that said it was about 16 cents, and uh, when we look at different cultures, money has different value. 16 cents, she had 10 coins, $1.60, or $1.60 and, uh, you know, you would say, well, that wasn't very much. But it was if it was all she had. And the thought is that this may have been all she had to purchase her food with and to take care of and to pay the bills and everything else. It was that drachma, ten drachma. The probability, though, it isn't dealing so much with uh, her life savings, which it may have been, but it was probably more to do with her dowry. The way they would do it is when a young woman married a young man, uh, Uh, the bridegroom would pay for everything. He would take care of everything. Uh, Today, it's the bride that does all that, isn't it? It's it's the parents of the bride that have to pay for the wedding and all those things. Uh, I have a daughter, and I have a granddaughter, two granddaughters now, and we should probably reverse that back to where it's the groom that pays for those things. I think that would be a good thing. But anyway, here was a situation where... The father of the bride would give his daughter, when she moved in with this guy, when she married him, a dowry. And that dowry was to be kept in a safe place. It was to be kept for her. It was not for them to spend as a family. It was just in case the guy was a loser and she couldn't stay there anymore. And she would need money to take care of herself or maybe he would die and she would be a widow. And so she would have this dowry. And they would take 10 of those coins when she got married, and they would sew them together in a circlet, kind of like a bracelet or a necklace. You'd have this circle thing, and it would be tied onto her headdress when she got married. So she had these 10 coins, and this was normal for every Jewish girl. When they got married, they had the 10 coins. It would be like your wedding ring or your engagement ring. And so it was very special. There was sentimental value to it. Uh, you wanted to keep that because it symbolized that you had a relationship with your husband and there was a marriage and it was a very special thing to the woman to have these. And yet in, in this situation, one of the coins was lost. One of the coins was gone. And it meant so much to her. She knew it was in the house. And so she needed to seek to find it. It it had that sentimental value. Sitting down and thinking through this parable and comparing it with the parable of the lost lamb. The lost lamb was lost out in the hillside. He was gone. He wasn't in the house. He wasn't there close. Maybe he had not been around the, the flock a lot. He was just wandering around up there. But... In terms of the lost coin, it was it was there in the house and she needed to find it. She needed to find out where it was. It was special to her. And where lost people on the hillside are people that probably aren't in the church. The lost coin, I think, represents somebody who is. Somebody's in the home. Maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe it's one of the people in the church. And they're just neglected. Time is not spent with them. They're not drawn into the relationship. And so they disappear. They're in the church. But possibly the relationship with Jesus Christ isn't real. They've never really understood or made that commitment to follow Christ. It's hard to believe we have people in our churches like that. But there are many. Um, I think back to a couple of different weddings, marriages that I know of, where the wife married the husband, and she was sure that he was a Christian. They had both been raised in the church. They went to church. They went with their families. Their families were Christians. And after they'd been married for a short time, the husband said, well, I don't feel like going to church anymore. And she said, why not? He said, well, I don't believe in that. I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and the wife would be shocked. Thankfully, the ones that I know of in time, the husbands did come to know the Lord, but they just didn't go anymore. In fact, sometimes they even say to their wives, we don't want you to go either. But everybody thought they had that relationship. Why shouldn't they? Their, their parents were Christians. They were involved in the church. Sometimes they're leaders in the church, and they just disappear. Sometimes it's our kids. They grow up in the church. They get up every Sunday and they go to church with their parents and some are rebellious. Some don't want to go. When they get to be older, they simply said, my parents drug me to church. I didn't want to be there because they never had the relationship. Not with Jesus Christ. Others are compliant. They come. They're there. They're part. But they've never really made a commitment. It's more of a cultural thing for them. They're in the youth group. They're in the Sunday school class. They're all the places you think that they would need to be, and yet they've never met Jesus. It's never been real. I think sometimes with our kids, we just take it for granted that they have that relationship. We take it for granted that they have that faith. I remember a lady that used to call me, and we would sit and talk, and and I wouldn't tell her her kids weren't Christians. Uh, They were young. They were small. But she was so satisfied because at four or five, six years of age, they'd made a profession of faith. I did that when I was four or five, six years of age. And I believe it was real. I believe it was sincere. And as time went on, the evidence was there in my life, as I got to be an adult especially But I think sometimes our kids make decisions, and they say a prayer, and we think that's it, and it's never been a heart transition, true repentance, true confession of their need. In fact, they haven't even understood it themselves, and we just take it for granted they're okay. Sure, my kid's okay. We go to church, and they they said that prayer years ago, and we look back and say they said the prayer. But it's more than that, isn't it? There's a change of heart. In God's grace, he receives us. We come as we are. We just sang that song, come as you are. And God takes us as we are. And But if if the Holy Spirit moves in, I believe there is going to be a change. The Bible says that we produce fruit in keeping with who we are. And that may not be evidenced in a small child so much, but certainly as they get older, it should be evidenced in terms of They're walking, and if it's never there, then there's a chance maybe they never receive the Lord. This woman would call, and we would talk, and she said, oh, my kids are okay. And we just take it for granted without really taking the time to determine where they are. And so this woman, she had lost a coin, and she wanted that coin back. It was one of the ten She'd taken it for granted. They were all okay until she counted and realized one was gone. Verse 8, or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And let me tell you, there's three things that she did in that Jewish house. The number one was to light a lamp, and that's because Jewish houses tended to be kind of dark. They only had one little window up there, most of them. They were only one or two rooms at the best, probably a room with a little lock where the family would sleep, and, and you couldn't see very well. In fact, from what I understand, they always kept a lamp lit because they didn't have a lot of matches back then. They didn't have matches. They didn't have a cigarette lighter. They didn't have a lighter for your fireplace, for your charcoal, so they would keep the lamp lit. It was a little oil lamp about like this, and it would have a little neck that would come up, and the wick would be there, and it would draw the oil up. You had to keep the oil in there so that you would light it, and it would be there. But, you know, I would guess when she lost that coin, she was hoping that the light would cause the glint of that coin to make it evident. So she probably lit two or three. I just have the idea that she lit more than one lamp because it says here that she lit... She doesn't, she light a lamp. Isn't that what she's going to do? She's looking for it. And so she wants to make sure that it is evident and she can see it. You know, the Bible talks about lights. And when we're reaching people, the light that should be there. In John chapter, well, several of the passages, Jesus made the statement. He said, I am the light of the world. I'm the light. I believe that if we want people in in the church To know Jesus, we need to introduce him to Jesus. It's very easy to get caught up with, well, how can we have a better family? How can we handle our finances? How can we deal with the social issues? What about's going on in the the country? And we miss out on talking about Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the one that makes the change. It also says in, in Luke, if we go back just a little bit, that there's another light that can be lit, and it's, that's back in Luke chapter, well, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. It's in both Matthew and Luke, but we'll go back to Matthew chapter 5. It was a Sermon on the Mount, and we've talked about this, this passage many times, but in verses 14 to 16 of, of Matthew 5, you are the light. Of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a bushel. You don't just take it into the house and put a basket over it, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Then it says, "This let your light shine before men, in such a way that they may see your good works, and they may, as a result of that, glorify your Father who is in heaven." Jesus is a light, but some people never see Jesus except through you and me, and it's our testimonies that are important. What do we live like? What do we like? What do your kids see about you in the home that would draw them to Jesus Christ? Or what do they see in you that may push them away? Sometimes it's the way we talk to each other that isn't the most positive. Sometimes it's the fact that we never do talk about Jesus Christ and we never do talk about our faith and we never pray together, and those things aren't there. In the church, people need to see that God's real. It says, Let your light, your life be a light so that people can see Jesus. Is she little light? Because without it, she couldn't see. Without it, there was no evidence. And the same thing is true about our lives. We need to be that light. And you know what? When you're living the kind of life that God wants you to live, people are going to be drawn to you. Your kids are going to be drawn to you. They're going to see a a positive influence. It's kind of like when we go to family camp. If any of you go to family camp with us, you know that we have three or four or five lanterns hanging around the campsite. Uh... We have other electric or battery-powered lanterns and lights. And we have lights all over our campsite. And uh, if you're walking up the road, it glows where our camp is. Well, we also have something else. And that is that we have those, we call them chocolate bugs. They remind me of chocolate chip cookies with a little chocolate in them. We don't put them in our cookies usually Uh, but they're a June bug. And you know, the minute we start lighting those lights, those little bugs show up because they are so drawn to the light. Moths come in because they're drawn to the light. Some bigger bugs come in. I'm not saying our families and friends are bugs, but I'm saying if we do live a kind of life that God would have us to live, it will draw people to us by our integrity, by our honesty our love for Jesus Christ, the evidence of what Christ does in our lives. And so she lit a light. That was the first thing. Psalms 119, 105, it says, Your word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. And it says we are to be lights. The word of God is to be a light. And uh, it's important for us to make sure That our family members and our friends and people in the body of Christ hear the word. And uh, we aren't just talking about good ideas. Because the word makes a difference. And in a home, if your kids hear the word and it's present in the home, it will make a difference. And so we see the very first thing is she lit a light. The second thing is she got out her broom and she began to sweep and... You think, well, every, every woman that keeps her house clean or every man that keeps his house clean, they're going to sweep a little bit. They're going to make sure it isn't too dirty. But it was, it was a little different in the Jewish house because, you see, they had, wood, or they had dirt floors, most of them. Hard-packed dirt floors. And so what they would do is they would bring in straw or they'd bring in reeds, and they'd lay them on the floor so that it was a little softer. You weren't just walking in the dirt. But when you drop a little coin, probably close to the size of a dime, a little silver coin into the straw, what happens? Especially if you've been walking around a little while before you notice it, under the straw. And the straw has to be removed. And so this woman got out her broom and she began to sweep the straw to the side and the reeds or whatever else was to the side so she could begin to see. And as she was doing that, she was probably separating the straw, maybe down on her hands and knees, looking for that coin, because it's hard to find in the straw. It doesn't show well. And so she swept. The word here for lighting the lamp and sweeping is a continuous thing. It was a continuous action. She wasn't going to do it for a little while and then stop. She was going to do it until she found, found that coin. And you know, I, I thought about What is the straw that gets in the way of people seeing Jesus in our lives? Sometimes it's just busyness in the home. We're too busy to talk about our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're too busy to pray together, even at dinner. We're too busy to read the word or study it or talk about it or what does it say in spiritual application and just busyness keeps away, keeps us away from the things of God. And that's a hard one. Maybe it's a lack of respect. I, I mentioned it earlier. It, the straw may just be the way we talk to each other. The critical comments, the negative attitudes gets in the way of people seeing Jesus. Maybe it's a lack of commitment to spiritual things and to the church. You know what? It's in the house, but our kids know what the straw is. And they know what our lives are like. In the church, oftentimes, they may know as well. And so when someone's lost it home or they lost in the church, we need to remove those things to get in the way. And then the final thing it says here is she searched carefully, intently. It was ongoing until she found it. Uh, I would imagine she was probably down on her hands and knees in that straw and parting it and looking for that little coin. She wanted it so badly. It meant so much to her. It, was her. it was her wedding ring. Let me ask you, ladies, if you lost your wedding ring at house, would you hunt for it? Mm-hmm. Intently, I would hope. It's meaningful. If it has a stone even that falls out, where did the stone go? You know, it's, it, it's special, and that's what this woman was doing. She was hunting for it. So I would just say in the body of Christ, when we think of this parable, we have to make sure that no one's left behind. Everyone is given the opportunity to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Parents, never take it for granted that your kids or your grandchildren are safe in the relationship with God. It's very easy to do that. Oh yeah, my kids, they're okay, they've got it all together. And we wonder what happens when they reach 21, 22, 23. And we don't see the evidence. And we wonder why. You see, we need to be intent. Not hammering away and driving them away, but certainly being intent to make sure that our lives don't separate them, our lives don't chase them away. We need to be careful that no one's left behind at, at church. We need to make careful, I think, that no one's left behind at school. I think of uh, middle schools and high schools. Most of them have some kind of Christian club that they're Kids can be a part of. In college, it's true too. Uh, Corwin goes every week over to Liberty. There is a Christian club, one day a week over there that he works with, spends time with. And uh, what a great thing for Christian kids to come together and share together in, in that school atmosphere. Uh, when I was a young person, there was Campus Life, or Young, Life or, or Youth for Christ, is what it was. But I remember being part of that and being with other Christians from other churches. And we would fellowship together and we'd talk. And it was was a special time to be part of that. Young Life is another club. We have those clubs here in the the Brentwood area. And they, they primarily reach out to kids that don't go to church. But what a place to have a witness. What a way to reach out. We need to do that. We need to make sure our kids have that place, that they can be part. It's a safe place. We, um, kids go away to college. They can get in a campus crusade club, or uh, they can get in it with InterVarsity, one of the other clubs. Uh, Southern Baptists have missionaries on a lot of the university campuses. There are things that go on where they can be with other Christians, even though they're in the midst of a lot of people who probably don't believe. Churches need to have things for their college age, their young adults. I really believe that. It's hard in a smaller church. You don't have a lot of kids in, or young people in, in in that age area. But, boy, I, I think it is so key because for so many young people leaving high school, they get out, they go to the university, they go someplace else, or even here they go to our our. Junior colleges to LMC or DVC. And they just don't have the witness. And I I really would love to see, I'll be honest with you, I'd love to see us have a, say, a young couple or younger couple that can relate to college age that would take it over because I watch kids as they leave churches and they don't come back. They just get so caught up with everything else. And they don't have that relationship. And the relationships they build aren't necessarily with Christian kids. And they need to have that fellowship. That's how I met Darlene. She needed Christian fellowship. So I started a group. Actually, that wasn't how it went. But I remember at about uh, 24 years of age, I came home, I'd been through college, I'd been through the service, and I went to church, and I went, wow, there aren't very many Christians that I relate to here. Not my age. And especially as a single, a lot of them my age at that point were already married, and I thought, I don't get, I don't get it with them. And so I started a Christian singles social group and went to different churches and got people to come in and we built a relationship and we were all in 20s up to the early 30s and we had fellowship together and you see I I look at that and I was reading this this parable about the woman who had lost a coin in her house and I thought how we need to work so hard to make sure that we don't lose them not taking for granted that certain ones are okay because, wow, they made it up through high school now. The woman was so excited she found her coin. When she'd found it, she called together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me. Be happy with me. Let's party. Let's rejoice for I have found the coin which I had lost. This, this part of my wedding band, it's It's back. And then she went on, it goes on in verse 10, and it says, In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, one lamb that comes back, one coin that is found. When one repents, when they come back. You know, I, I thought about that. It gives us an amazing peek into the heart of God. Did you think about that? apparently the angels in heaven are looking down and they see when people respond to Jesus Christ. They also see when they walk away. And my guess is it hurts when someone has been called to that relationship and he rejects or she rejects. And there's probably sorrow. If they rejoice over one that is found, I would think they would sorrow over one who is lost. But when one is found, it says they rejoice in heaven. If the angels rejoice, don't you think our heavenly father is also rejoicing? I think so. It gives me an understanding of the heart of God of how much he loves the lost sinner. And when that lost sinner comes home, he says, yes, this is what's supposed to happen. This is where it's supposed to be. One responds and the battle is won and there's victory that's eternal. To win that battle for the lost, we, like the shepherd, have to go where they are to bring them in. Or we, like the woman, need to light the light, sweep the floor, and diligently search for those and minister to those who are already part of the body of Christ to make sure they don't wander away. The Pharisees had come, and they were looking at the sinners, and they were looking at the tax gathers, and they couldn't understand why Jesus was interested in them. So he gave him a parable, and he just simply said, I love those people just like I love you. We're going to get into them in two weeks. But take time to think about your relationships, your families, the people you're close to. Don't take it for granted that everything is perfect with them before the Lord. Talk to them about their relationships. Talk to them about where they are answer questions, go to the Bible together, spend time in prayer together. Boy, in your homes, make it a place, a safe place where they can meet Jesus. So important. Let's pray, shall we? Father, as we come today, I, I read this short little parable. It's not very long. doesn't seem like there's much there. It's easy to skim over, but as I was reading it, it really touched my heart. In terms of where are we? Do we take people for granted that they're okay? That their life's right with God? Do we take them for granted that they have that relationship because they attend church or because their families attend church? and Yet maybe there isn't anything there that's so real. The Bible says our lives change when we come to know Jesus Christ. There is a change in terms of of the fruit that is born. And, and that has to do with our character. Love, joy, peace, patience. We do away with those things that are so prevalent in the world. The anger, the bitterness, the immorality. Writings of Paul are filled with that, Father. That we change because of Jesus in our lives. So I pray for everybody here this morning. I pray that we at Brentwood Bible Fellowship would not take individuals for granted, but we would be there in love, in compassion, as friends seeking out individuals to share Jesus Christ, even within the church. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you that you gave your son for us. Thank you for our eternal life, the life that we will have in the future, but also, Father, that life that we experience today with peace and joy that we don't have without you. Thank you for the direction you give us as our light. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.